0: <laughs> Jonah, I already asked Scott. He said you were the. This is your your hosting. Oh wow! Look at
1: that. Very cool. Uh, just the glamour never stops. Uh, greetings, dear listeners of the Glop and or Remnant podcast. This is Jonah Goldberg, uh, the host of the latter and a participant in the former, or the other way around. I, I'm not quite clear. Uh, we are doing this special episode because uh, Rob Long is the Fredo of our group, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, can't be here, so it's a sp- it's the most exciting crossover episode yet with uh, John Padortz. Hello, John. Hi, Jonah. And Jonah Goldberg. Hi, John. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Jonah.
0: Jonah. Yes. If yes. Rob, if Rob is Fredo. Uh huh. I, I have a painful one for you here. If Rob is Fredo, who's Clemenza? <laughs> <laughs> um, that is God. a grim, that is a very grim little uh, detail there. Uh, Cause uh, maybe, maybe Rob could also be Clemenza. He's, he's uh, not are, the skinny, he's not the immigrant. skinniest, but you know, he's immigrant's a, a, a pretty wiry guy. It's, I would say Rob is not the skinniest person. No that's uh, true, other. that's true I, I, but, you know, I, I, I don't think he quite he rivals uh, me in the avoir dupla department, but so he could be both Fredo and Clemenza,
1: yeah, but I mean, is Clemenza's defining characteristic that he's um plus sized, you know that he that he would um be shopping at Rodney Dangerfield's clothing store chain and back to school, or is it um you know that he's an enforcer or you know a supporting character? And then he could be, you know, then, then Emmergut would work, or maybe my assistant Jack Butler, um, who's certainly not full. Your
0: assistant Jack Butler is like a marathon runner. I mean, yeah. I, I really don't. I really don't know if we can fit him into the Clemenza suit. See, now um, I think
1: I think the more interesting question is if if Rob is Fredo, which I, I am presuming he would contest. Um, uh, then are you, I, I think if we're going by Twitter personalities, you have to be Sunny. Um. Just
0: because you're a slave to your passions on Twitter, that's but, why I'm um, off Twitter. So I'm I know reformed, that's the problem. I'm a reformed Sunny, but yes, I think I could be Sunny. But Did I don't you think that makes you John's Michael. account on the Causeway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh,
0: but I don't uh, think yeah. that makes you Michael. No, I don't think I'm Michael either. Uh, I'm uh, You're you're Tessio. You're Tessio. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, um. Basically, I think what this reveals is that uh, all of life uh, is the Godfather, the the uh, in my view the greatest motion picture ever made, and the movies have now been around for 120 years. So uh, that's a pretty uh, substantial amount of time. And we uh, and Chris Cuomo inadvertently has done us a favor by allowing us the space. To talk incessantly about the Godfather,
1: I think that's right. I think that's right. And um, quick question, I, I, you know, because I've been on the road uh, for listeners who want to or are curious. I am doing this from the parking lot of Penny's Diner in North Platte, Nebraska.
0: That is the uh, humblest brag. That is the best humble brag of all time. I'm serious. Uh, that is like I am so American <laughs> that I am podcasting in my car from a parking lot. I uh,
1: well, Rob has podcasted from parking lots before, but it's always like the parking lot of the Malibu Starbucks or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Um,
0: well, you may recall that Rob once literally <laughs> got into a car crash <laughs> while he was podcasting on his way to, to tape his TV show. He was I on, do remember. he was on, uh, I think uh, Broom Street in in uh, in Manhattan, and suddenly he's like, "Oh my God, this guy! I, I got to get off." that he was gone and then he and texted he, us pictures of like apparently like some pakistani immigrant turned from the wrong lane right in front of him yeah um and yet so, he's still and yet he still is not ken cuccinelli even though his car was hit by a, a pakistani immigrant <laughs> i would say he, he has not rewritten the uh the poem uh, on the base of the statue of liberty the way uh former Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli did by saying it says that you should stand on your own two feet and not take welfare. Emma and Latton's that apparently it's poem. for Europeans,
1: that the poem was written for Europeans. Um, yes. All right. So, but, 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 so I haven't been which, following this way,
0: too it's closely. Which is nice because that means that 19th century uh, Jews are now, were now considered full Europeans, which would come as a great shock to the 19th century Jew. That's that true. Somehow he counted as a European anyway. Um, but so uh,
1: I only brought up, you know, my humble brag of being in North in North Platte, which is um, it's a lovely town. Home of the biggest rail yard in the world, by the way, Huh. Um, uh, because I haven't followed this stuff that closely. I've been trying to get up to speed at the end of the day on Twitter and whatnot. Is anybody coming to Cuomo's defense on this? I mean, does anybody think saying like, man, he nailed it.
0: You know, other than the PR department at, at CNN? Uh, I, he himself um, Chris uh, came out yesterday and said that he had he had done badly, that this was a mistake and that he shouldn't have done it and he should have held his temper or said something you know that he's ashamed of himself or something like that, whether or not he uh, retracted his claim that Fredo, is a, is a slur against italian americans uh, uh I, I that i don't think he did specifically but um i mean the uh, thing about that i mean i talked about this a little bit on on
1: my uh my podcast um this is also your podcast that is your true. podcast from the other day my podcast from the other the the a, a remnant from the earlier part of this week um which also in classic american fashion Uh, was that was done from the parking lot of the Capitol building in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, the thing about it is if, if Cuomo had just simply said, Hey man, back off. I'm here with my family. Leave me alone. You're a troll. You know, you're a loser. Get away from me. Um, I think most people would have sympathized with them. Uh, but, but I think what I just find sort of fascinating about this is this, this tendency of people to need, to invoke some identity politics grievance to justify being pissed off. And so they take Fredo and turn it into this thing for Italians, which, you know, calling someone Fredo has never had anything to do with calling someone Italian until just now.
0: Right. Well, Uh, but, you know, to be fair to Cuomo, people who have never had this experience, which I have, and you probably have, of being sort of confronted out of nowhere on the spur of the moment by somebody who is being very confrontational and you're around your kids and that sort of thing. It, it can be hard to keep your head.
1: I agree with that. and,
0: And the fight and the fight or flight response comes in and who knows what comes out of your mouth? You know, he was, he, you know, and so I'm, I'm a little more sympathetic that he just kind of had a brain fart and he was just, trying to contain himself from getting violent. Because um, he's like, you know, it's a weekend. He's like in shorts with three kids and his wife and, you know, at a, at a restaurant. And suddenly he's in a – he's being confronted by a guy with a virtual sword who's carrying, carrying an iPhone. So yeah, no, I, I get that. But that's my point is that he was in a sympathetic
1: situation and he had to turn it – Into this crazy thing where now Fredo is, you know, it's like, I don't, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of a good
0: analogy for this from the world of Jewry. (laughs) It's like saying you're from Helm. I mean, that is, you know, because what the whole point about Fredo is that he's dumb and he's, he's the lesser, he's the lesser child, right? So he's the, he's the... Yeah, he got well, he got passed over. But, you know, as we know from Godfather 2, he is kind of like one of life's schmendricks. You know, even, even in Godfather 2, as a baby, he gets, he gets tuberculosis. Like, he, n- nothing ever goes right for him from the time he comes out of the womb, Fredo. You know, I- his father is gunned down outside the fruit stand, and he runs out, and he can't even hold his gun. He bobbles his gun in his hand. Um, he can't do anything right. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know what the analogy there is. It's it's such a spec. Mario Puzo, that is such a spectacular character. That's why it can conjures up a whole world just by saying "Fredo." And is it incredibly insulting? Yes, it's incredibly. It's like someone walks up to you and just insults you. And, yeah,
1: yeah. But it's just not an. It's not an Ital- anti-Italian slur. Is my point. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess no, if not. you're Italian, I mean, I, I, it's weird. There's this guy who's been a reader of mine and he follows me on Twitter and we've had interesting emails. He's a very smart guy, but he has the thinnest, most sensitive hair trigger for any mob movie, mob boss, uh, uh, Godfather references at all. And he immediately goes to 11 on claiming that it is. A blood libel, a slander, um, a grotesque example of bigotry. To even talk about mob movies, to quote mob movies, and it's just so fascinating to me because he's he's sort of like um, the the husband in the Sopranos, the husband of Doctor Melfi, who's yeah. constantly going off about the the bigotry against Italian Americans, and um, but he he sort of does it. To 11. And, and so I'm always sort of sensitive to this is like, is there a point here? And I guess if you were an Italian American and someone called you Fredo, you would hear it as more of an Italian thing, maybe. But I, and then I just check myself and say, no, 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 that's really stupid. <laughs> so I, would I, don't like,
0: I would like to point out the worst episode of The Sopranos was uh, the one, I think it was called Italian American, where they spend the entire episode talking about media portrayals of Italian Americans. I think it was written by um, Michael Imperioli who played Christopher and it's very didactic and sententious and annoying. Um, but you know, my fan, one of my favorite stories about the making of the Godfather, uh, which was, you know, filmed I think in 1970, 71. And a lot of it was filmed in Manhattan and there were a lot of, Teamsters and various, you know, craft unions uh, involved in the making of the movie. And of course, some of those unions were infiltrated by the mob. And the main thing that they wanted was for the word mafia not to appear in the movie. And in fact, in Godfather 1, the word mafia never appears. And nor does the phrase Cosa Nostra appear, which... Is what apparently the mafia was called by mafiosi, right? Um, but but they do appear in Godfather Part Two, which by the time that came out, like they weren't afraid that the union was going to destroy it, and also I don't think they were filming much in New York. I mean, they did; they filmed the the uh, the assassination of Finucci in New York, but um, but they were they were on much safer ground. But it's funny because it's like. Don't you slander us, or we'll kill you! <laughs> you know? That, that's, the, that's the great uh, that's, thats the great uh, irony of this. But, Jonas... Well,
1: it's so- also, also just worth pointing out, for all the talk about the courage and bravery of, of reporters and journalists, and, and obviously there is a lot of that, or there's some of that out there, um, I always love the fact that the newspaper industry in New York was held entirely hostage for decades by the fact that the mob had infiltrated the newspaper delivery trucks mm-hmm. and none of the newspapers ever reported on it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I just think it's, you know, it's like, you know, they would do all this mob reporting, but they wouldn't report on how they were actually being extorted because they couldn't afford it. And th- this is the point that my brother always made about the mafia in New York. Cause, he, and he saw some of this firsthand cause he worked a fish delivery truck for Fulton Mart Fish Market. Dear and and the key for the mob is y- your key vulnerability to the mob is if you have a business where time is the major issue. Right? I mean it's it's one thing if you can afford to call the cops and have the thing cleared up and whatever, but if you can be black if you if your business can go down the tubes with a small delay which is what the mob is good at. is just delaying things a little bit. Um, they're also good at killing people. But so fish delivery, huge problem. Newspaper delivery, huge problem. You know, it, the, the, yeah. the whole food business, because all you have to do is have the union guys sit on their hands or lose their truck keys for a day, and you just start losing incredible amounts of money. That's why the Fulton, Fulton Fish Market was all, you know, mobbed right. up. And anyway, I just thought it was always sort of interesting. You know, we're talking about, like, the hidden influences of, of of the lacunae of mafioso influence, which yeah. everyone here in North Platte is talking about quite a bit.
0: Well, you know, the difference between you and me, Jonah, is that while you sit here and interpret the mafia, I sat uh, at a desk for a, a year uh, in the New York Post newsroom uh, next to Victoria Gotti. So <laughs> I I feel that I deserve a little credit. Now, why was it that Victoria Gotti was a columnist, uh, as she was for the New York Post? Well, um, as it happens in the 1990s, if you put the word Gotti on the front page of one of the New York tabloids, in particular, the New York Daily News, which is, of course, uh, the Post's chief rival, uh, you would sell 100,000 more papers that day. Gotti was a, an object of extreme fascination, particularly to the news's uh, readership. The news sold best in the outer boroughs. The Post, ironically, for the way people think of it, was the best-selling newsstand paper in Manhattan. But there was this rivalry over the Gaudis, and so uh, somebody at the Post <laughs> hired Victoria to try to get some value out of the the byline. And about a year after that, I was uh, my wife and I we were engaged to be married and we went we were going to get married in the five towns which is a, a neighborhood in a uh, mobbed somewhat mobbed up neighborhood in the in uh series of neighborhoods in on the south shore of um, of long island just past kennedy airport another great location for um for mob action and we went to this uh florist and at some point um i was talking to the you know so the we're talking to the saleswoman and out of the back of this uh, florist business comes a little guy, five two five three, with one of those black tans, like his you know his, his skin no longer had any uh, any kind of liquid in it, so yeah. he was just a shriveled you know he looked like Boris Karloff in the Mummy. He was human a, jerky. Yeah, green green suit, five pinky rings on each finger, <laughs> and he comes at and he says. Hey, I hear you work for the Post. So I said, (laughs) yes, I do. And he said, "Uh, do you know my friend Victoria Gotti? (laughs) (laughs) You got to say hello to her for me. Victoria (laughs) and I go way back. We go way back. And he gave us a very good price, (laughs) by the way. There you go. There you go.
1: Um. All right. So what else? What, 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 what do we have on the agenda today? I, mean, I feel like we should talk about Rob a little bit just because, you know, your uh, your complaint often quite valid is that when Rob and I do this kind of thing solo or with, with sans pot um, that we make fun of you too much. So, I mean, it seems only fair that that we make fun of Fredo a little bit.
0: Well, you know, it's it, it's because I'm a better person mm-hmm. than the two of you. I, I, I'm frankly, I'm shocked at the very suggestion that one should use <laughs> this occasion to, um, to harm uh, someone who was not there to defend himself. And I think it just speaks to, you know, questions of character that probably should be left dormant. However, I will say this about Rob. If you say, if you're walking down the street with Rob and it's 72 cloudless, and the weather is perfect. And you say, God, this is a beautiful day. He'd say, eh, it's not a beautiful day. And you know what else? There was a time. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> I was on the lot in the commissary. And someone said it was a beautiful day. And then there was an earthquake. <laughs> it doesn't matter. There are these occasions on which we do this when we do the pregame show of Glop where Rob will, will say, let's talk about this. He's like, really? Do we want to talk about that? It's like, let's talk about 9-11 on 9-12. And he's like, well, who wants to talk about that?
1: Every single time.
0: He's, yeah, doesn't matter. It,
1: has he ever actually proposed that That's we talk funny. about anything? He, yeah, I don't think he has. I think he's always just crapping on other people's topics.
0: That is a very interesting point. I i. I have no memory of Rob ever saying he wanted to talk about something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the things that he wants to talk about, those are the things where, where he says, well, I guess we can talk about that. That's his like full throated endorsement of a topic.
0: (laughs) I mean, the interesting thing about Rob is that he, he has many, many showbiz stories but he is a very uh, he, he's a discreet person and um, a, a moral person. So he never really wants to expose any of the secrets that he has himself witnessed, you know, in 30 plus years of work in, in Hollywood. Um, and I, I, I will say I consider that a grave flaw. Uh, because I, that's the only thing, the truth is that's the only thing in life I actually care about. The only thing I care about is hearing scuzzy stories, mostly about second rate celebrities. That's my particular joy is, is the, is the world of the, of the person who really didn't become a star. But was sort of like one of those people that you know. And there's a podcast, the comedian Gilbert Gottfried does a podcast, and every Monday he surfaces one of these people. They're like 85 years old. He does an hour and a half long interview with him, he and his co-host, Frank Sando Padre, like Gavin McLeod. And they talk (laughs) about Gavin McLeod's appearances on Hawaii Five-O. (laughs) <laughs> Play playing a hipster mobster in Honolulu, and this to this is like ambrosia and nectar all together. And Rob has so many of these stories, and he won't won't tell them. So now,
1: I don't want to get too uh, talmudic or Jesuitical about deconstructing all of this because I basically agree with you about all that. But you began by saying with great sort of humble, braggy preening about how you were a better person than me and Rob because you don't like to talk about people in absentia and denigrate them or insult them or attack them or harm them in any way. And then you said in in an act of almost Trumpian apophasis, you (laughs) segued to first attacking Rob for not doing more of that. And then revealing that this is in fact your, the only source of joy in your life <laughs> is yes. when you e- hear people doing exactly what you say people of good character should not do. I just thought, I thought it was interesting. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's well, it, it was I- it was an interesting.
0: Well, because I, I didn't mean it in the first place, <laughs> Fair. as as you well know, <laughs> as you well know, uh, there is a term, uh, uh, there is a, a, a grave sin in the uh, the Talmud that Jews are, are 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 told that they must never do, uh, and it is something called lashon hara, which is evil tongue, which means gossiping, and it's even worse, apparently, lashon hara if you do it. And what you're saying is true. In other words, if you're <laughs> recounting a true anecdote, not a false one, somehow that's even worse. So the problem with the pro- prohibition against Lashon Hara is that this is the only thing that makes life <laughs> worth living. <laughs> also,
1: I must say, of all of the unfair stereotypes about Jews, and we know there are a great many, this me- must be in fact – the most widely committed sin of Jews that I know of, you know, the whole thing about Jews being greedy and all that kind of stuff that most of that is just slander. But the propensity for gossip among many of my closest Jewish friends is very strong if That's the worst thing you can do in Judaism than, you know, some people have got some atoning to do. It's going to be well, a busy course. Yom Kippur. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, of course, of course, the the secret of all uh, important legal systems is that they is that they seek to ban the things that make life worthwhile, or that people <laughs> think make life worthwhile. I mean, adultery. You want to ban adultery? That's very hard on many. People. There are many people on whom the ban on adultery is hard. And what about honoring your mother and father? I mean. Who doesn't at some point in their life want to go around and say, did you hear that? you know, my, my dad, my mom did this or that. Every, every one of the 10 commandments involves something that you want. Coveting. Coveting Coveting is a hard one. I I, I,
1: I don't have much trouble resisting the urge to kill people. I mean, I have it from time to time, but it's like, that's not a heavy lift for me. That's not a huge price. If we all of a sudden passed a law saying, That the the penalty for murder will be even worse than it already is i not a thing in my life would change but the coveting thing that takes effort you know that takes work yeah
0: (laughs) because because that's the whole thing about a lot of laws that uh is that it, it it declares that things that you cannot resist are illegal and so the only way to prevent you from doing them is to ban them because otherwise you could not resist doing them. And if you do them as you will like coveting, you should feel guilty about it as a means of protecting you from doing it more. Cause coveting, what does coveting lead to? It leads to adultery and murder, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and so it's a support structure for a legal code that, you know, aims to control and contain the passions. All I'm saying is that um, I'm going to hell because <laughs> <laughs> all I care about is hearing stories about Bernie Coppell like hitting on women on the set of The Love Boat. That's to me, that's joy. Not, not um, a baby's laugh is joy, and a beautiful day is joy and uh you know also sort of, and bernie Coppell hitting on a woman on the set of the love boat <laughs> uh
1: since you brought it up i don't have a good bernie Coppell, uh story who uh, listeners should of course remember was uh zigfried the head of chaos on oh uh, yes. smart but i've been listening to a bunch of podcasts on our uh north american adventures and jess uh the fair jessica my wife Turned me on to Conan O'Brien's podcast. Conan, oh, that is so good! And they're doing like a six-parter with Dana Carvey, which is fantastic. And there are a couple things. I mean, first of all, you know, you're reminded about how Dana Carvey just kind of disappeared for a long time. But it's also interesting that these impression, you know, a big part of his shtick is doing impressions, and it's funny how you know, what's happening to him is what happened to Rich Little. Like for the last, I'm assuming Rich Little is now dead, but for like the last five years uh, where you would still see him, the impressions that he did were so unbelievably dated. that So like nobody under the age of 40 could place who he was doing. <laughs> and it's happening. And it makes me feel so old because it's happening to Dana Carvey. My daughter was in the car and most of the impressions that he was doing were just going right over her head. I mean, oh, she kind of knew, she knew, obviously, uh, Jimmy Stewart, because we watched It's a Wonderful Life, but a lot of them just went over her head. And um, but the one of the ones that I actually thought about opening this podcast with is Dana Carvey does this thing where he talks about, where he just goes into this character of what he calls the, 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 the a-hole I don't want to curse on this podcast uh the a-hole cowboy from the western who greets the stranger in town by saying well 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 what do we have here (laughs) a lawyer you gonna do some lawyer man stuff for me and he starts doing this to like he begins on the like this episode going after Conan O'Brien going well 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 what do we got here a talk show host (laughs) are you going to do some talk show hosting for us? Don't you be a talk show host for me. And then he starts doing it to the pod, the podcast producer and the talk show host assistant. And I couldn't get out of my head. And I like was like driving my wife crazy. Cause I was saying, Oh, I'm going to do it with pod and I'll do like, well, 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 Jewish Egghead Magazine editor. Are you going to do some <laughs> e- Jewish editing for me? You know, anyway, it's in my head. And, and I, I want to say it to every barista to drive through Starbucks.
0: and You know, and, oh, and I, you know Dana Carvey had the worst – has the worst medical – not the worst, but like an insane medical malpractice story. Does he talk about that on the podcast?
1: He hasn't yet or at least I, maybe,
0: maybe he will – you know, I don't know. Um, he, he I, couldn't, in, I couldn't remember what happened to him. There was some if I remember plan, correctly, right? he went in for open heart surgery and they operated on the wrong ventricle or whatever. You know, they sewed him up and he was still – it turned out that they had done the wrong side of the heart. Whoops. Uh, yeah. It's one of the craziest things ever. I think he won like a $20 million settlement. Like, I'm generally Uh, against litigiousness and stuff, but that sounds like a pretty good one. I
1: mean, like, sometimes you don't begrudge people.
0: Yeah, the surgeon, I'm looking it up, the surgeon operated on the wrong artery. He had a double bypass, and the surgeon operated on the the wrong artery. And he was basically, you know, he, like, couldn't get out of bed for two years. So it it can happen to anybody, obviously. Um, Have you seen, by the way, and if you haven't, and other people haven't, look it up, this terrifying deep fake thing where uh bill hader uh, i have yeah uh bill Hader does this amazing uh uh tom cruise impression and uh as he's doing it somebody turns his face into tom cruise's face and so he's then doing the tom cruise imitation but it's coming out of uh tom what look appears to be tom cruise's mouth yeah, they're basically morphing him into Tom Cruise. And it is like that thing where you say, How on earth are we going to know 20 years from now that the things that we see in front of us are actually real or were manufactured? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what, uh, wars will start this way, right? Somebody will release yeah. some kind of prov- provocative tape <clears throat> of a leader saying something that will cause a war to break out somewhere and it'll turn out that it was not real. There's a great episode of Radiolab that goes deep into
1: all of this. And I mean, already the audio technology is amazing. It's like all they need to do is hear someone talk or have tape of someone talking for like, I don't know, like 90 minutes or something like that. And then they have software where you can just basically type any sentence you want and it will sound like. John Padora saying it or Vladimir Putin saying it because they can mimic perfectly the intonations of how you talk. And that alone is like super dangerous. You know, just uh, there was a time where if you just released the audio tape of somebody saying something, it could be a big problem. But if you can do it with video too, it's, yeah, it's
0: terrifying. Well, what about, I mean, to give you an example. So if you saw Captain Marvel, which I think released last year, this technology they've been using to de-age people, which apparently is at the heart of this upcoming Scorsese movie, with right. De Niro we talked about and, that in the last episode, I right? Think. Right. Okay. So, um, so they can de-age, so they de Samuel L. Jackson. So they could de-age So they can't get it now to de-age Biden, but you know what? If it were ten years from now, and they can de-age you while you're while it, while you're doing it. In other words, set up an interview just like you have makeup on, yeah. they'll just make you look 15 years younger. Yeah, No one will know any, you'll, you just won't be able to tell what's true and
1: what's not. Or they can make the president of the United States a color that's actually found in nature, you know, because right uh, now that yeah. orange is not, you know, found in nature. <laughs> anyway.
0: Um, By the way, I don't know if you know, when he was giving that speech, uh, the, the speech about, um, about El Paso, uh, we were all watching in the office on, on a TV. And I was like, does he look purple? He looks purple somehow in the document room or wherever he was in the, in the, in the white house, the lighting combined with his skin color turned him into like an oompa loompa. He had kind of an oompa loompa shade. Well, and the hair is already kind of right for that, you know? Right. Uh, I know particularly. Right. So the contrast between the hair and the purple, the purple face, it was kind of uh it was kind of unnerving i have to say uh now i got to ask you about iowa cuz you've been at we're in a, did you did did you miss the fair did you get to the fair no oh no, we uh, we went we went to the fair um here is what the
1: goldbergs as a family unit feasted upon yesterday I, i'll try to do it in order we started with the deep fried mac and cheese then we did um an Italian sausage uh, sandwich. Then we did, um, where'd we go after that? My daughter is on a big anti-pork thing. So we tried to avoid like, I really wanted the pork chop on a stick and all that, but she like, she she won't eat pork now, not for the Jewish reasons, but because she thinks pigs are smart and different than cows and whatever. So anyway, we weren't doing that, but um, had the turkey leg. Uh, some funnel cake, um, the dipped cookie dough in chocolate, uh, caramel apples, uh, big thing of kettle corn. I feel like I'm missing some meat products in here. Right. Wow! Uh, but my 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 wife and daughter, we 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 basically sort of semi fasted the day before so we could do this with a little less guilt. Um. And it's funny so I we we go to a lot of state fairs uh, and over the years and county fairs and that kind of thing and we like them a lot. Uh, the Iowa State Fair is really impressive in some ways in terms of like the agricultural piece of it. The 4-H clubs and all of that is huge. We were a little disappointed by the size by the scope of the rides. I just sort of assumed since it was one of the most famous state fairs that it would have you know more serious roller coaster type stuff and it 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 kind of didn't although I was somewhat grateful for that. Um <laughs> And, uh, the political presence was much less, you know, it's so funny when all these reporters from MSNBC or whatever, flood the zone at the Iowa state fair, you would get the impression that like everyone's wearing their, at least in election years, wearing their campaign swag and all the rest. So a couple of Buddha judge people, cause he was there yesterday, but for the most part, no one gives a rat's ass. No one's talking about it. You know, there were a couple of people wearing like Trump things but it's it's just not you know politics is not central to the thing at all, and uh, so I mean it was fun it was interesting uh, it was very you know we we were we felt very American and I mean I love that stuff. Um, saw the biggest uh, pumpkin the the biggest pumpkin in Iowa it was pretty impressive, um, and uh, you know that was you know that was about it. Uh, it was good good times for ha- oh so it's funny I didn't realize also that they do this. Um, like trade show kind of like boat show uh, thing where there's a big pavilion, a couple of big pavilions, but one huge pavilion, the various industries building or something like uh-huh. that and you've got the sort of sham wow types and you've got people selling uh, hot tubs and barca loungers and uh, insulation you know heating and insulation in your home and and apparently that's like, that's where the RNC booth is. And we walk in and we're looking at it and just is like, oh, they're just selling crap here. We don't want to do this. And then I point over her shoulder and there's this guy with one of those core, all those wireless mics and a, and a speaker selling a miracle product for picking up dog hair. And, and she just runs over to it because yeah. <laughs> like, you know, oh, we don't need any of this crap. Yeah
0: pick up dog hair. Yeah. <laughs> she was all over it. So we actually bought one of these things. I'll I'll let people know how it works. Oh, fantastic. Well, you know, I haven't been to a state fair. It was at the Minnesota State Fair like 40 years ago or something like that, but I've been to, you know, county fairs and things. And I, I have to say that um much as I love the whole experience of it, um the the smell I find the more agricultural it is the more horrifying the smell can be
1: yeah i mean I particularly the pig the pig area was pretty intense but i you know i just gird my loins for that and walk through as quickly as i can and right uh, i
0: mean i don't i don't mean to be like a sissy or anything but uh, you know and i know you get you can get you get acclimated to smells very quickly, and it's not like New York City where I live is uh, bereft of uh, scent, you know, particularly in the summer. But um, uh, I'm struck by uh, the fact that these uh, appearances at state fairs by by political candidates seem to have all kinds of downside, and I don't. I'm, it's unclear to me what the upside is. In other words, like you're walking around for ten hours. Uh, you're going to say something weird. People are with you the entire time and you're going to say something weird. And it's not just Biden saying that, you know, whatever it was Biden said that people, oh no, he's too old. But like Elizabeth Warren saying that her favorite word is porch. (laughs) She just wants everyone to know her favorite word is porch. Now I understand because she's doing nothing but talking for like 12 hours. And you get gaga right it's like when when romney said you know the trees are all the right height in michigan you Uh, know i was recently in michigan he's right they are the right height (laughs) see and it so it wasn't even wrong (laughs) you know (laughs) but but um this act of sort of like exposing yourself for hours and hours and hours just so someone following you can make fun of you for having said the wrong thing after saying ten thousand words that weren 't the wrong thing that 's kind of weird to me i i, I don 't really know why that is
1: yeah there was a funny piece
0: about politically sound there's a funny piece about Bernie who does
1: you know my dad always used to talk about how when Lenin was in his true revolutionary phase, he purged himself of all bourgeois distractions except for like a piano. And, you know, he just wanted to be monomaniacally focused on the revolution. And Bernie, that's sort of the spirit of Bernie when he goes to the Iowa State Fair. He walks really fast through it like he's like dismissive or disdainful of the 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 the, the, you know, the, the kulak's showing off their crops (laughs) and he just wants to get in and out as quickly as possible. And he doesn't pander to, you know, the baby kissing and the the fried food eating and just goes in and out as quickly as possible, which I, you know, I I kind of kind of respect, but it's also just
0: shows you how weird the dude is. Well, I mean, to be fair to him, he lives at a state fair, right? I mean, uh, that all Vermont, Vermont is like one giant state fair. That's true. Although, I mean, you know, and, you know, it's just like a lot of far, a lot of, you know, empty, far, you know, there's a, like a cow and a pig and a hippie, and, you know. Well, and also some very
1: affluent gay couples who've restored a beautiful 19th century barn. Right. Um, sure. <laughs> um, um, and you know, when those guys restore the barn, they don't go to, uh, the state fair or the county fair to go get some fried food. They're more likely to order from DoorDash. Okay, so before I read the ad, I actually need to do a little bit of a mea culpa. Uh, yesterday, when I was recording uh, the first Remnant podcast of this week from the parking lot outside of uh, the Iowa State Capitol, there was confusion. The ad copy that had come in said that the code for listeners, the incredibly useful code that is a boom to all Remnant listeners, was Remnant and not Dingo. And as long-time listeners of this podcast know, um, I try to make it always be Dingo. Some people want it to be Spaniel, but that's just the way it is. And so what happened was we decided to re-record it both ways, and hopefully we'd be able to fix it in time. And I ended up getting confused and screwing up my read. Um, and at one point, I dropped what might be called an F-bomb. But, and I regretted it, but, you know, this kind of thing happens often when we're recording reads, and Jack uh, was going to fix it in post, as we say, and put in the correct read and the correct code, which is remnant. But while he was waiting to confirm all of that or something, or maybe while he was smoking crack, it's unclear, I you know, he's not being supervised while I'm on the road, he accidentally left in the the... Uh, Goldberg uncensored. And most people seem to have found it funny. At least people feedback on Twitter. I'm not sure our friends at DoorDash do. And so we're going to fix it or we're going to bleep it. Maybe for the sake of history, we'll just bleep it. But we wanted to be clear with the listeners that A, this is really all Jack's fault, or at least that's what Jack wants me to say. And B, that the code is remnant and knowing the right code for DoorDash is important because DoorDash is important. If you've had a long day at work, tough day at school, you're still stuck at the office, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Or, let's say your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're sick of microwave leftovers and frozen pizza. With DoorDash, you can get restaurant-quality food with a living room dress code. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, And your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. So right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code REMNANT. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code REMNANT. Don't forget, that's promo code REMNANT for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. And again, everyone in the vast national network of staff that The Remnant has apologizes for the profanity yesterday, and we hope that it will never happen again. All right, so so John, uh, I got to wrap soon because I got to go back on the road. We're trying to drive to Jackson from North Platte today. Um, But, you know, since we started talking about Fredo, we started talking about Godfather we got to talk about Frankie Frankie Pintagilli, the um who is Jeffrey Epstein
0: well uh, we think we think Frankie right so the question is if he's uh Frankie Five Angels uh, of course famously uh talked into committing suicide by Tom Hagen uh, after he had agreed to turn state's witness uh, before the Kefauver commission uh and w- that great speech that Robert Duval gives where he says you know the roman emperors uh, when they knew their time was up rather than having themselves disgraced or, you know, murdered or, you know, taken out and, and killed would, you know, just slash their wrists in the bathtub. And Frankie says, you're going to take care of my family. And he says, of course, Frankie, five angels And the next scene, he's dead in the bathtub, right? On a plot against the emperor failed. Plotters were always given a chance. To let the families keep their fortunes. Right? Yeah, but only the rich guys, Tom. The little guys, they got knocked off, and all their estates went to the emperors. Unless they went home and they killed themselves. And nothing happened. And the families. Their families were taken care of, Tom. That was a good break. Nice deal. Yeah. So there's Jeffrey Epstein dead in his cell in the in the New York City jail. Uh, so the question is not uh, that Epstein killed himself necessarily, though it would, of course, I don't think it would surprise anybody to discover that he didn't even now. Uh, but who talked him into it? <laughs> you know, that's the, If you follow the Frankie Five Angels, you have to know who Tom Hagen was. So uh if he's Frankie Five Angels somebody his death was of specific was of specific interest to someone and presumably there was some kind of quid pro quo uh, I don't know for whom or for you know uh he doesn't have any children he has a a brother who is himself some kind of rich real estate guy um so it's not like one can figure out you know who he whom he needed to protect but um that's the that's the angle of the Epstein as Frank Pentangeli. By the way, you know that so – Yeah. I was just going to say – Is you know that, that your Frank,
1: abiding theory that he didn't want to kill himself but that he was talked into it? Or do you think he was just full of despair and he knew this thing was going to end badly and, and
0: took himself out? Because that does happen, right? Well, I mean, that would be the rational thing to do, right? He was at the end of his – he was at the end of a string. Uh, There was no way he was going to get out of this. Uh, He had finally experienced actual prison, right, for a couple of weeks. He was going to have to live there without bail until the trial next year, sometime next year. And then in all likelihood was going to spend the rest of his life in jail. Is that what he wanted to do? Now, most people do that, right? I mean, Bernie Madoff could have killed himself too. So Bernie Madoff stayed alive long enough to see one son die of cancer and the other commit suicide himself and he's going to die in prison and you kind of wonder well why didn't he kill him (laughs) because people don't as a general rule kill themselves uh particularly narcissists like jeffrey epstein who were you know narcissists famously don't kill themselves but if he were if he had been set upon in the first couple of days by somebody who tried to kill him and he's then on suicide watch or whatever. And then he talks his lawyers into getting him off suicide watch so that he can get out of this. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, so that's my take on this is that it makes all of this. It's such a perfect, it's like, you know, these molecules that can get past your blood brain barrier so perfectly and affect you or viruses that can do that. Mm -hmm. This story is so perfect for every species of conspiracy theorist that every theory is at least has some superficial plausibility to it. And that's why I think it's so it, it, it's, it's so pernicious in some ways, just because everything is getting so com- much more conspiratorial already. And like, you can't really do the, oh, come on, that's crazy to yeah. anybody's theory about anything. Cause they'll just say, they're like, now who's being naive Jonah, you know? Um, and, uh, it's messed up. And I mean, it's really messed up. And,
0: um, Ross Douthat wrote this column the other day in which he said, um, you know, some conspiracies are true. Like if you had said to him in the 1990s that we were going to learn that there was a conspiracy at the highest ranks of the Catholic church to hide, um, pedophile priests within the system in order to, you know, in order to prevent, um, you know, the truth from coming out over the course of 40 or 50 years, uh, he would have said you were crazy. And yet that turned out to be true about the world's most important religious institution, the most important religious institution on the planet, which turned out to be riven with corruption and conspiracy so high that though we don't know this to be the case, one can presume that a Pope found it necessary to abdicate in some connection to what had been going on an advocate something that had not happened in six centuries. So I don't know, you know, that's part of the problem is, yeah, there are conspiracies sometimes. I mean, we have a law in the books in which people are, are prosecuted constantly for being involved in, in, you know, in cons- what are, what are called conspiracies. And um, there are ways to tell the Epstein story that, that, uh, that kill the conspiracy theory off. In other words, like, if you accepted uh, Alex Acosta's contention, that he got involved in the Epstein matter because the Palm Beach County attorney was going to let him off without any jail time. And so he basically said, look, you do something with this guy and make a deal with this guy or I'm going to go after him And I'm going to come after you. And so they ended up negotiating a deal that at least saw him get a year in granted minimum security prison and and a lifetime uh, having to uh, register as a sex offender. But the story there is, oh, well, why did he do it? And he didn't do it that way. And that's a lie. And he's lying and all of that. But even if you accept Acosta's contention, then you have the, well, why was the Palm Beach County attorney – letting Epstein off so easy. What was the story there? So there is no, there's no way around this.
1: There's also all, I mean, but again, I mean, you've, you've gotten as many, if not more of those letters and emails from conspiracy theorists who connect dots in weird ways. You know, it's, it's the really good conspiracy theorist types make up as little as possible. Right. They just, they just connect discordant things, and they use timelines in ways where they think correlation is causation and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And, you know, I just know for the rest of my life, I'm going to be hearing from people about the fact that that Epstein had dinner with, like, with, like, these Nobel Prize winning uh, scientists about transhumanism and seeding the planet with his genes. And we're going to have stories about You know, these boys from Brazil scenarios where, you know, Epstein clones are out there and you can't just go, well, that's really stupid, even though it is really stupid because there's just enough there. You know, hey, um, as right now, I am now out of my car, walking around with my laptop and my Skype headset, holding my portable hotspot in my other hand. As I walk around the parking lot of the, I think it's the Knights Inn in North Platte, Nebraska, around the pet walking area, um, because my wife and daughter came out of Penny's Diner and are in the car, and they they are pointing at their wrists and saying,
0: "We gotta go." So, okay, so so with an even greater humble brag than you began the show with. <laughs> I think I think we can both say that we neither of us is going to be doing any any media for a, a little bit because you're off to Alaska and I'm off to the Holy Land, so uh, you can't hear us anywhere. Yeah, that's right. Well, there'll be more podcasts. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to Jackson
1: Hole for a conference. Oh, oh, and uh, um, aren't you fancy? So I'll probably do some podcasting from there. But anyway, I want to. Thank you for coming on The Remnant and thank you for bending the glop to The Remnant and vice versa or however this works. It's the greatest crossover ever since, uh, um, I don't know,
0: uh, Don Adams was on Scooby-Doo. Genius. And Fredo will be back next time. All right. See you. Okay. Bye-bye.